I'm loving this cooler weather. Amen. Some people are excited about that. Uh, uh, we're going to jump right into the word. We're, we're in Ephesians chapter 6 tonight. Uh, last week we were in Ephesians chapter 5 and went over a lot of things. We talked about how the scripture tells uh, uh, there towards the end of that book, it talks, it talks about wives submitting to their husbands and husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church. We we broke that down, and, and uh, as I spoke about wives submitting to their husband, all the men said amen. And then we talked about uh, all, all, the, all the men loving their, their wives as Christ loved the church, and all the women said amen. And, and, and we talked about how those two things, it, when you talk about being in submission to someone, does not mean that they're over you necessarily, but it means that you need to walk in the order, the divine order that God has ordained. Amen. And that's the way that God has designed it. So uh, coming into chapter 6 here, this is almost a continuation of how we ended last week. It talks about, it starts with uh, children and their parents. If there's anything in conflict with a family, if it's not between husband and wife, sometimes often it's between mom and dad and the children. Amen? All right, a few of you know what I'm talking about. Um, and so we're going to look at that. If you need a subheading here, the first four Verses here is children and parents. This is just how I how I did it. So if you want to write that down, if you're a note taker, verse uh, one says this says children. I'm gonna stop right there, man. You knew I wasn't gonna get very far before I start start talking. Uh, children here is the Greek word uh, technon, and it translates to children, uh, and it refers to anyone living under his or her parents' roof. That does not mean there's an age limit on that. Well, that changes a whole lot of perspective, doesn't it? Look at this. It says children. So one could be 19, one could be 23, one could be 30 to fit this definition. Ooh, it got quiet in here, right? All right. Uh, uh, so if you're, if you're in that, like, college-age group and maybe you're living at home, you need to take heed to what the Word of God says, okay? Uh, this is the Word of God for you, all right? Uh, we are all the children of God, Amen. All right, good. So we are all children. Look at this. Children, obey your parents. Your parents are like, I'm going to get a sign made and slap that up in my house. Children, obey your parents. The Greek word obey here is uh, uh, hippokua, and it speaks of a soldier about to engage in battle waiting for orders from a commanding officer. Uh, if you're anybody serving the military in here, all right. So uh, uh, there were times where you were just waiting on your commanding officer to tell you what the next step was, and all, you just had to sit there and wait in anticipation, right, David? Uh, there are those moments, and so this is what that literally means. Children are to be waiting in anticipation of what their parents may say. If, if the soldier doesn't listen carefully, and this is the reason why. If a soldier doesn't listen carefully to what the uh, what their uh, commanding officer is telling them, they're going to find themselves in the wrong place at the wrong time, possibly even costing them their own life. There's a reason that commands come from the top down. And, and honestly, this is not a light response of, yeah, 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 I'll get to it when I get to it, mom and dad. No, this, I mean, this is a whole different perspective. It's uh, it's a obey them as if your life depended on them. I, can I bring my kids in here right now? When I played football, we had to uh, listen intently to the quarterback in the huddle. And when we got in the huddle, we had to listen to what he was telling us. He was giving us information. Hey, this is the play that we're going to run. If we are all not on the same page here, we're going to have guys, guards going this way when they should be going to the right. We're going to have receivers going downfield when they should be blocking or whatever the case. And the quarterback would tell us, hey, this is the play and this is the count. We're going on, my, on two. So that means I'm going to say, hut, hut, we're going to go on two and we're going to move at the same time. And if, if, and it never failed sometimes, the quarterback would go in there and he'd say, hey, we're going to go on two or we're going to go on three. And guess what? He would say hike. And guess what? One of the left guards at the first time would jump, right? And that means that uh, oftentimes they weren't paying attention. And, and, and that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, obey your parents with intent and, and hear what they have to say. And so same goes for children and parents. The parents are the QBs and they're calling the play and children when they follow and obey, 
will execute the play to success. So look at this. But here's the key. Here's the key. Coming back. So I know we're hard on kids there, but look at this. Here's where it gets a little tougher for us parents. Children, obey your parents. Here we go. Are you ready? In the Lord. For this is right. Uh, although children are to listen to their parents as if their life depended on it, they need only to embrace their parents if what the parent says is in the Lord. Sometimes parents get it wrong. Sometimes they're, they're not right. If a parent tell, tells their child to do something that is against the heart of God or the word of God, the child is under no obligation to obey their parents but God first. So let's flip that coin, parents. That means that the, that the counsel or the directions that you are to be giving have to be in the Lord. All right? Everyone look at your neighbor and say, hey, this is good stuff. All right. So if a child, look at this, if a child foregoes their parents' command on the ground, uh, 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 it goes against the Lord. So here's the thing. If a child says, hey, mom and dad, this goes against the word of God, and I can't do that, you know what they are supposed to do? They're supposed to be able to pull up a chapter and pull up a verse and have their theology down pat and say, here, mom and dad, this is why I'm not following you because God says this. Uh, otherwise, the child is, uh, is under the parent's roof is to submit, I, I like this, we're going to hear this word a little bit tonight, enthusiastically. Oh, Lord, help my kids to, to, to follow me enthusiastically. You know how happy our house would be if my kids would just get excited about taking the trash out and cleaning up their room and doing their chores and, and, and washing out their dish after dinner, right? You know how exciting it would be? And here's the thing. It's just that simple. So, and, and I'll give you a little bit further. This works for any relationship or any government authority. You know, we've heard that. Hey, well, how far is too far when, when the government oversteps the, their bounds? When it goes against the laws of God, the word of God, you can stand. We stand with the Lord first. And it's our obligation to first follow the Lord. Look at this. In, in, in the book of Acts, Peter and John were preaching, and they were told by the city authorities to stop preaching Jesus. Guess what they did? They kept preaching Jesus because that's what they were called to do, and that's what they were supposed to do. They preached the gospel. Look at this, verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I love this. I, I really do. I love this. Why is it right to obey mom and dad? Maybe we should just bring all the kids in here for this portion of this scripture, right? Why is it, all, why is it right for, uh, for us to obey mom and dad? Because there is a promise connected with the premise. When you follow what they say, when they're in the Lord, when they're doing uh, what is right, when you follow what they say, there is a promise that follows. He that does so will live long on all the earth, according to Exodus, Exodus 20, 12. What does that mean? And the rabbis would say it like this. One who adheres to this, their life will be rich. Not necessarily long in quantity, but in quality. Uh, what if you feel uh, like you know more than your parents? Boy, I, every teenager in the house, right? What if you feel like you know more, uh, more than your parents concerning an issue? And I'm reminded of this story in the Bible. In Luke chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus was in the temple, and he was teaching, and Mary and Joseph had left without him. And when they went back to find him, they said, where have you been? And, and Jesus would say this, don't you understand? I must be about my father's business. Now, what's the point here? Jesus knowing more than his earthly parents at this point. He knew more than, than, than what his parents. But this is what Jesus did. You know what Jesus did? He submitted to his mom and dad, and he got back with them, and he went home with them. Oh, Jesus, help us all there, right? Help us there. And this is what the scripture says. Look at this. Uh, is, look, the, the next part of, of him honoring his mom and dad, look at this. Luke 2 
Verse 52 says he increased in wisdom, he increased in stature, and in favor with God, and in favor with man. That right there is, is the promise. That is the promise connected to honoring your mom and dad. He grew in favor with, with men, and, and he grew in favor with men that were fishermen, and he grew in favor with tax collectors, and he grew in favor with people that would abandon their lives to follow him. That's amazing. And so I, I love that. Verse 4 says this, fathers, everyone say fathers. It's kind of unique, but Paul doesn't mention women here, and I believe that the reason is women are more naturally prone to care for their kids to do whatever they can for them. I'm not saying dads are bad and dads, but w moms are a little bit more sensitive with their babies than men are. Novak was sick yesterday, and, and guess what? Mom, Tristan, was a lot more tender with him than I was. We were driving somewhere, and I was like, Novak, do not throw up in my truck. Do not throw up in my truck. I was concerned about my truck, but mom was like, babe, he's just doing the best he can. He stood in the gap, right? And, and here's the thing about dads. Dads, sometimes we have a little bit different story. The scripture says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. I don't know about you. I'm guilty of that sometimes. I don't try to do that, but I'm guilty of that. What does that mean? Colossians 3.21 says this, and it amplifies it. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I don't know, as a father, I don't want to, like, you know, verbally just beat my kids down to where they're discouraged about life, that they have these expectations from their dad that they cannot live up to. Do not provoke them to anger that leads to discouragement. And that means don't load them down with expectations. I'm learning this having teenagers in my life. Don't load them down with extra expectations, but try, uh, you know, oftentimes this is the case with a lot of dads. They try to relive their childhood glory days in, in their kids, right? I didn't make the major leagues, but I'm going to make the major leagues through my son, right? And that oftentimes that's a place, or you're going to play this sport because I played this sport, well, maybe your child isn't wired that way. Maybe they're going to play the piccolo in the marching band. And oftentimes, fathers, we put these expectations on our kids. And, and, but wise is the father that understands that his children, they're not to be molded but unfolded. Not to be molded, not to be in this mold, but to be unfolded. In other words, dad... You have the opportunity of observing your child carefully, seeing how God made them, and unfolding what God has built into them from the moment of conception. And oftentimes, we try to put them in our mold. This is what you got to do. This is you because this is me. Not necessarily. It says this. Next portion says, but bring them up. Uh, the tendency of men is to say, my job is to earn a living, and it's my wife's job to raise the kids. And Scripture says otherwise. It says dads are to bring up their children. How? First of all, by being there. I know that's not very popular, but it's so true. You know what your kids are going to remember? Not all the fancy things that you bought them, but the time you spent with them. I don't remember many of the gifts that I got on my birthday growing up. But I do remember spending time with my parents and my family. And, and when we get together, we don't talk about that bike I got when I was 12 years old. No, we talk about the trips that we did. And we talk about all the things that happened. And so it's the same, same thing. Fathers, bring them up. Um, and I know it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to be present and, and available. But can I tell you something? When you are available, it will pay dividends. Dividends in their life. So look at this. Uh, in the next portion of this says, in the discipline. In, in the discipline. So, uh, but bring them up in the discipline. The King James Version uses the word nurture here. The same word used in Hebrews 12.6. When the writer says, whom the father loves, he 
chastens or he nurtures or he disciplines. How many love a good discipline? Nobody raised their hand. Nobody likes to be disciplined, right? Nobody likes. But here's the thing. The, the scripture says the Lord, he disciplines those that he loves. Because there's a course correction there. I, I love you. I love you too much to let you go down that path. And even as you help them walk in the path of God, God has given them, uh, given them you. And it's your responsibility to deal with the sin that uh, with them innately or naturally in their lives. You're supposed to help guide them. Look at this. And uh, instruction of the Lord. Talk to your sons and daughters constantly about the things of God. You say, oh, I don't know. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says this. You shall teach them diligently uh, to your children. This is talking about the Ten Commandments. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, that pretty much covers all areas. When you're on the couch, talk about the Lord. When you're walking down the street, talk about the Lord. When you get up in the morning at breakfast table, talk about the Lord. When you're going to bed at night, talk about the Lord. You say, I, that just doesn't seem natural to us at our, at our house. Uh, do like Job. This is interesting to me. I was thinking about this. Job, and the scripture tells us in Job uh, chapter 1 verse 5, that every morning he got up and he gave a sacrifice on, in behalf of his kids, he says, and he would do this. He would also pray this, lest today be the day they, they forget God or curse him. Dads, do you get up? Do you offer sacrifices to the Lord? Do you pray for your kids' soul? Do you pray for your kids' future mates? You should. Uh, um. And here's the thing, even if you can't access your kids physically, maybe your kids are gone, maybe they live in a different area, or, or maybe there's emotional barriers, and maybe you aren't talking, but you may not be able to spend time with them physically, but you can sacrifice in prayer for them. Sacrifice, sacrifices were bloody, and they took time. Sometimes prayer takes effort. Listen to me. Listen to me, Dad. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Um, you know, sometimes I slip into my kids' rooms at night uh, when they're asleep, and I pray over them. Anybody ever do that? Am I the only one? I, I do that. Uh, you say, well, that seems weird. You know what? I, I want the Lord to guard their minds. I want the Lord to guard their hearts. I want God's best for them, and I will pray. I will bathe them in prayer. It's the best thing that I can do. Look at this. Here's the second portion of this chapter is this. Bond servants and masters. Uh, Verse 5 says this, bondservants, obey uh, your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with sincere heart as you would Christ. So when Paul wrote this, there was approximately 6 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Slavery has been an issue for a long, long, long time, not just to just our country. And, and so, but many treated their slaves brutally, so it must have been shocking to hear Paul's words. Hey, bondservants. Be good to your to your masters. Today we would say it like this in, in modern terms. We say, employees, listen to your bosses. Oh, pastor, I like when you're talking about dads. Why are you talking about me and my boss now? David, the King David had a mean boss at one point, King Saul, right? Remember David's job? He'd come in and he would just play soothing music for Saul. And not once, not twice, but three times, Paul would throw a spear at David and try to take his life. That's a mean boss. As a matter of fact, it got so bad that David would run and David would flee to the caves. And, and he uh, two times could have taken Saul's life in, in hiding in a cave. And at one point, he clipped part of his robe. And David felt guilty over the, act that, the fact that he just cut part of Saul's, King Saul's robe off. And he could have taken his life. And David shows us that, that Saul, uh, 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 David shows us that he saw Saul as God's instrument. You know, your boss is part of God's instrument into your livelihood. And, and so Saul was part of David's, uh, of God's instrument in his life to produce, number one, patience, maturity, compassion, and greater dependence on God. Um, let me ask you this, and this is just in a spiritual term, not in a real physical, 
Have you clipped your boss's robe? Maybe you said some things behind their back. Uh, have you been that? And, 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 and you, may, you may not respect the person, but respect the authority uh, that, that God has given them and the position that God has given them. Verse 6 says this, not by uh, the way of eye service as people uh, pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Verse 7, rendering service with good, uh, with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So we are... We aren't doing things uh, at work to please people, but God. If you get that in perspective, it'll change your whole perspective at work. When, when you're having a bad day and you're mad at the boss, if you realize, hey, I'm not doing this for the boss. I'm doing this for the Lord. It'll change your whole perspective. Scripture says this, or I, like I said, this, this word enthousi- enthusiastically. Do it enthusiastically. Enthusiasm comes from the Greek phrase. Look at this. comes from the Greek phrase entheos or full of God. When you're enthusiastic, guess what? Full of God. The world says do enough. Leave early. Cover it up. God says I'm looking for men and women who are with good cheer and have enthusiasm singleness of heart, who respect those of authority over you. One thing, I'm going to say this, and, and uh, one thing that I love about Katie is she is one of the most enthusiastic people to be around. She is, see? And it doesn't matter if, if we were, like, when we were at camp and I was tired, and she's like, come on, pastor, get out here and play game with us. And she was like, let's go, let's go do this. And she's always giddy, always happy. I love that. Be like Katie. Verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. So whatever you put in, God's going to give it back to you. Uh, uh, whether he is a bond servant or it's free. So the enthusiastic work that you do for your boss is not primarily for him and her. It's for the Lord. Look at this. And it pays in two ways. You'll receive rewards in eternity, Matthew 25, 23. There's a reference. Uh, if, even if your boss doesn't notice your efforts, and everyone's like, oh, my boss is not noticing my effort. God does. My mom always said this, and it took me a long time to understand this, and when I, when I didn't get recognition or I didn't feel like I got this, my mom would say, you know what, TJ, God is a good record keeper. And she is 100% right. There's a story where Teddy Roosevelt was coming home from Africa after killing a rhino and an elephant, and he was met with fanfare. They were coming into New York, and uh, he was having a, a hero's welcome as the boat came in. And simultaneously on the same boat uh, was was a missionary, and this missionary had spent 40 years in Africa laying down their lives in the heart of the jungle to help uh, the lives of people. And while he was sitting there, this missionary, he saw the fanfare when he got into the dock. And he saw all the people who were excited to see Teddy Roosevelt. Parades and, and everyone was there. And he, this missionary began to get bitter in his heart. And he's, and he's thinking, he just killed a rhino and an elephant. I just gave up 40 years of my life for the, for the gospel I don't understand why. He began to complain to his wife. I don't understand why people are so excited about the fanfare. But later on that night, he was praying about it. And God spoke to the missionary and he said this. You are not home yet. Meaning this, that when you get to heaven, you are going to get your reward. Let Teddy have his right now. You're going to get your reward later. Secondly, if we work enthusiastically and wholeheartedly, you'll receive benefits presently, right? Work hard, make more money. I thought I'd at least get an amen on that. Hard work pays off. God will give you favor with him, and God will give you favor with man. Paul is a great example of this. In, in Ephesus, if you read in, in, in the book of Acts, I think it's 19, he's there in Ephesus, and he's preaching and, he's, and in between preaching, he has this time in the day. He has a break in the day. From 2 to 4.30, he's preaching. You know what he's doing other than that when he's not preaching in that time frame? He is making tents. He was bivocational. He was a tent maker, and he is busy making tents. So whatever he found with his hand, he did it with all his might. Look at this. Next portion says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. 
bosses, stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So employers, just as your employees are to serve you, you are to serve them. Oh, it reciprocates. For God is not a respecter of persons. He is not impressed with your title. It says this, stop threatening or bullying people. Boss, you have a master in heaven as well. One day you'll stand before him. Look at this. So let's get to the next portion of scripture. I, I am pumped about this next portion of scripture right here. The next 10 verses, buckle up, get ready. We're going to unload a lot. I'm going to do it as fast as I can here. Verse 10 says this. And this is, if you need a subheading, this is the whole armor of God. Everyone say the whole armor of God. We went through five chapters right in the middle of chapter 6. Finally, what Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Uh, so we've been talking about relationships with our spouses, father to their children, employers to their employees, and vice versa. And now we get to the talking about spiritual warfare. And he says, finally, coming to an end, finally coming to an end, be strong in yourself. Is that what he said? No, no. Oh, I know what he said. Be strong in your manliness. No, no, that's not what he says. He says, be strong, what? In the Lord. And that's the second time we see that phrase in this chapter, in the Lord. If you're going to do anything, it's going to be in the Lord and him only. Amen. So my strength comes from the Lord. David would say this. He said, I look to the hills. And he says, where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from the hills. It comes from him and him alone. He who made heaven and earth. Joshua would tell the people of Israel before they would go into the promised land, he would say these words, be strong and courageous. And do not be afraid, for God is with you. Proverbs 30. I, I love this. This is, a, I, I appreciate the, the Holy Spirit showing me this. In Proverbs 30, near the end of the chapter, there's a lot of fours in, in Proverbs 30. Go read Proverbs 39. You'll see all these little fours that you'll see in there. But anyways, four things. But in one of those groups of four, it talks about, uh, in Scripture, it talks about rock badgers or, or conies. And, and a cony is a, uh, a kind of a guinea pig or a rodent in Israel that has no, no natural defense. They, they really don't know how to defend themselves. They can't defend themselves against predators, except this is how they defend themselves against predators, is they hide themselves in the rocks. They're small enough to get in the rock. They get in the cliff of the rock. I love this. In the Lord. In the Lord. And so when a predator comes along, you know what they do? They don't try to fight the predator. They just get in the rock because the predator can't get to them. And let me tell you something. A lot of us are trying to fight spiritual battles when God just said, get in the cliff of the rock and I'll protect you. So I'm getting a little preachy right now. So too are we to get in the cliff of the rock being strong in the Lord. Stop centering your life on how you're doing and how you're feeling or how you're treated. I, I thought about this story. Uh, there's a dad. He's working in the driveway, and he's, he's moving rock around, and he's got his wheelbarrow there, and it's full of rock, and he has his young son there, Johnny. And Johnny's about six years old. And, and the dad looks at Johnny and says, Johnny, can you go get that wheel, wheelbarrow full of gravel and bring it over here? So Johnny does what any good son, he's honoring his dad because he wants to live long, right? So he goes over there, and he grabs the wheelbarrow, and he's trying to help his dad. And he goes, he's using his strength, and he, he's, he's doing that. And, and Johnny's struggling, and his dad says, hey, Johnny, are you using all your strength? He says, I am, dad, I am. And Johnny gets a new grip, and he, he's going to try something different. And he grits his teeth, and he tries again, and struggling to move the wheelbarrow, his dad says, Johnny, are you using all your strength? And he says, I am, Dad. I am, Dad. He says, Johnny, have you asked me for help? Because I'm here to help you. 
You don't have to do this alone. And I, I want to encourage you today to be strong in the Lord. Sometimes we're like little Johnny trying to move something, and God's like, are you using all your strength? And we're like, I am, Lord, I am, Lord. And, and the whole time God's like, I can help you with that. All you need is ask. I want to encourage you to be strong in the Lord. God will never ask me to do something that he will not enable me to do because God plus me is a majority. I can't do it on my own, but I, I know this. i got to be like the little conies and put myself in the cliff of the rock. Look at this, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Step one, are you ready for this? Put on the whole armor. W-H-O-L-E. All. All parts. Life is not a playground. Life is not a playground. It is a battleground. Why are so many church people weak? They're not armed for battle. Let me tell you something. The enemy will attack you where you are weakest. Saints, you cannot stand against the schemes of the enemy if you are lacking parts of the armor. Satan, he's smart, he's cunning, he's clever, and he attacks the weakest point. Look at this. Verse 12 says this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, get ready. We're gonna Buckle up. Buckle up. All right? So, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. So, every time I fight against flesh and blood, I am doomed. This scripture tells me my enemy is not someone physically. Now, there may be a spirit within that person that I need to battle, but it is not flesh and blood. Whether it's a family member, a friend, a boss, a spouse, or whoever it might be, if I'm fighting against flesh and blood, arguing, fighting, and striving, I'm fighting the wrong battle. You don't know, TJ. You don't, you don't, you don't know how mean they are. It's not them. It's the enemy at work within them. The king of Syria told his captains when they fought against Israel and Judah to not worry about any man, great or small, but only the king. Get to the root of the issue. If we can take the king out, all these other people don't matter. And that's what happens with us. If we can get to the source of what the issue is, if we can get to the source, it would save us a lot of problems. Find the source. It's not him or her. It's the enemy at work within them. The devil uses people all the time. The devil uses people all the time. And don't get sidetracked by them. But know your adversary and his tactics and methods. We are to battle spiritual entities, not flesh and blood. Oh, all right. Moving on here. So, but against rulers. So, here's the thing. There's a ranking of, of demons. There's a ranking of demons that... The King James Version says principalities. Everyone say principalities. Principalities speaks of territories, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm to show you something. I'm going to unpack something here. And uh, principalities or territories. How many remember the story in Daniel chapter 10? Daniel is praying, and he's prayed for, for 21 days before he gets an answer. He's praying and fasting. How often do we give up really fast? Most of us, five days, and we're like, okay, God, uh, obviously you're not going to answer. But Daniel began to pray and fast. He's asking the Lord, hey, what should we do? We know we've been in bondage 70 years. What should we do, this or this? And this is what happens. While he's been praying and, and he hasn't gotten an answer from the Lord, the angel showed up with his answer to his prayer, and he told him, hey, I would have been here sooner, but in between here and, and, and going to heaven, there, is a, there was the prince of Persia, and they intercepted me, and, and a battle followed. In the midst of trying to, to, to go to, to send this information up, there's this battle. And the battle was so intense, the battle between this angel and the prince of Persia, this, this, this uh, principality over the area. What's that? What's the prince of Persia? That would be Iran. How many know that we're still dealing with the prince of Persia today? 
There's a spirit over, over territories. And the battle was so intense, intense that the archangel Michael had to come down and set the angel free. And I don't know about you. Anybody ever traveled around uh, the nation? And, and, and I guess, and, and I know this isn't just uh, for, for ministers. But if you've ever traveled and you've ministered somewhere, sometimes I, I've been in places where I go into places and I can just tell there's a principality in the air. There's, there's something there that specifically some regions and some cultures seem to be darker and more oppressed because evidently the demonic forces overseeing them are particularly potent. So principalities, those are those who rule over territories. Here's the next one. Against the authorities or principalities speaks of territories. Uh, uh, authorities here or powers speaks of demonic forces that keep people in bondage. They rule in bondage. I'm going to say something here. Meth is powerful in bondage. Pornography is powerful in bondage. Lust is powerful in bondage. Depression is powerful in bondage. Suicide is powerful in bondage. Bondage. I mean, you just look at these things. Look at this. Luke 13, 11 tells a story of a woman who was, was bowed over and could not look up. When Jesus called her and said, woman, thou art loosed from, your, from this affirmity, he laid hands on her, and she immediately straightened up. The bondage that was on her life was broken. We see sin in areas. Where I came from in California, there was a major problem with drugs. Major problem with, with drugs, and many were in bondage, and many were doubled over and bound down in bondage, spiritually speaking. If we aren't discerning, we will fight the wrong battle. At our church there in, in, in California, it was not uncommon for me to have someone come up to the building that was high as a kite. Oftentimes, we had to look at their issue, and we had to pray. We had to say, hey, Lord, help this person. God, break this cycle. And listen, I think, I think there are good things. Counseling is good. Uh, but the root of the issue is bondage of sin to drugs and principalities and powers broken by the power of Jesus Christ that truly sets us free. That's it. Look at this. Against the cosmic powers over the present darkness. Only one has to turn on your TV to see the darkness at every turn, right? Turn on any of your news networks and you'll see the darkness at every turn. Rulers of darkness speaks of demonic forces that oversee leaders. In any given society and provides the only explanation for the darkness that seems to be so increasingly uh, to permeate this world. Next one says, is this, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Two things I believe that this can mean, spiritual high places that seem to be so high in knowledge or enlightenment, but not an enlightenment to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What do you mean by that? People that are so religiously uh, uh, high-minded. I, I have all this knowledge, but it's not built on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You want to argue, you can argue a lot of things. You can argue creation and evolution and all those things. But let me tell you where it needs to come back to, from as Christians. We need to go back to this, Jesus Christ and him resurrecting. So I, I don't know. I don't know if I believe the story of Jonah. Well, you know what? Jesus talked about it. Well, I don't know about creation. Jesus talked about creation. Jesus said this. This is how you'll know who I am. And in three days, I'm going to tear this temple down. I'm going to raise it back up. That's how he showed himself. So, so I, I think uh, many times religious organizations or, or people that are mysticism and, and into new age, believing the age-old lie that this is enlightenment, just like the devil talked to Eve that day. Hey, this will make you smarter. Well, that's old news. That's old hat, devil. You're still using the same tricks. But here's another one. Here's another, another thing that I think that that can mean. High places, governmentally. You ever wonder why we have so many crazy people in Washington, D.C.? 
I'm talking all sides of the aisle. I'm not talking one side or that. There are people that are so power hungry and, and don't care anything. Listen, that is, there's, uh, whew, man, <laughs> why is there fake news? Why is there corruption? Why is there stupidity? There's spiritual wickedness in high places or important places or places of influence, media, government, even education. Paul's saying this, the battle is bigger than you. And, and can you even understand? And if you're fighting against flesh and blood, if you're fighting against people, no, you got it wrong. It's, 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 not against those, it's, it's not against people, but it's against these four rankings of demons, principalities of rulers, powers or authorities, rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. Look at this, verse 13. Moving on. Therefore, everyone say therefore. All right. Uh, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Again, he's telling you, hey, put on a few pieces of the armor of God. No, he's, he's saying put on the whole armor of God. How do I stand in the evil day? I put on the full armor of God. People see you going through a tough time, and when you have the armor of God, when they see you going through a tough time, they're confused by you. Man, that person has joy. That person has peace. That person has hope. How can that be that way? Because I'm standing firm in the full armor of God. The armor protects me from the principalities, the powers, and the rulers of darkness. And Paul must have been inspired. I think he was inspired while he's sitting there in the Roman jail, uh, chained up to a Roman soldier, and said, I'm just going to use you as an object lesson. FYI, maybe he began to talk to him. Verse 14 says this, stand, everyone say stand, therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Loins, the King James Version says loins girded in truth, and loins being the, the personal areas of your life. Ooh, I could stop right there and just preach, 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 preach. Let me ask you this, is the... The, the uh, personal areas of your life, is it centered in truth at all times? A man or a woman whose private life is surrounded by the truth will do well to determine what is a lie. I don't know who to believe. Oh, get this right, right here. Get yourself right. Ephesians 4.25, going back two chapters, Paul would say this. Uh, he says this, put away lying. Put it away. Be done with it. The devil is the father of lies. Lies are his ammo. And when we know the truth of the gospel, we can recognize, we can distinguish between the truth and the lie and say, not today, Satan. Pontius Pilate would say this, what is truth? And Jesus already settled <laughs> that when he previously said in John uh, uh, chapter 14, verse 6, he said, to him, I, or not to him, but he, Jesus said to, to who he was talking to, I am the way, I am the, I am the, amen, I am the way, I am the, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When we do this, when we gird ourselves with the, the belt of truth, we cinch this belt around us, helping us to keep from tripping on ourselves. You see, a Roman guard would have had some sort of rope, but when you cinch that robe up, guess what? It frees your legs. I haven't ran in a robe in a long time. I don't know if I even have ever ran in a robe, but I can imagine it would be really hard to run in a robe that is on the ground. I'd probably trip on myself. Maybe I'll try it some Sunday. We'll have some kind of fundraiser. Pay a dollar to watch Pastor trip all over himself. Can I tell you something? The, the truth will keep you Walking freely. Who the Son has set free is free indeed. Look at this. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness means this, doing what is right. Not what's right to you, but what's right to God. Let's get that clear right off the get-go. What's right to you may not be right with what's the Lord. If it's in his word, that's what we're talking about. The chest on a person houses uh, vital organs, right? It's important to protect yourself. Let me tell you something. You can't do it in your own righteousness. You can't do it in your own righteousness. There's, uh, man, there's such wonderful freedom and liberty that comes from knowing uh, that you're not intentionally doing things that aren't right, and your heart is still protected by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 1 John 3.20 says this. says, our hearts condemn us. 
your hearts condemn you when you yourself are like, I, I'm a bad person. I, I feel guilty because I, I did this. And we begin to condemn ourselves. Look at this. Revelation 12.10 says, the devil condemns us. And what protects me from condemnation over my heart is a life filling, uh, 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 filling dead and defeated it, it is, is Jesus Christ. Look at this. Romans 8.1 says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the, that's the breastplate of righteousness. There's no condemnation. When you start to feel guilty about the things of your past, when the devil reminds you of the things of the past, say, I am the righteousness of God. His righteousness covers and it gives me power over the condemning blow of the enemy. Look at this, verse 15 says this. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So what keeps the soldier from stubbing his toe or hurting his feet? Yeah, they, they, wore, they wore peace, but they wore sandals. I think they were crocs. Mike, I, I don't know. I think they were crocs. Maybe Birkenstocks. How about that? See a Roman soldier wearing a pair of Birkenstocks. Uh, we are to wear shoes which are spreading the peace of God. Ready to share the gospel of peace at a moment's notice. As I'm going about my day, not condemnation, not theology, not religiosity, just the gospel of peace. Jesus Christ loves you. He died for you. This means I don't walk on people, but I get to share with people. Gospel means this, good news. Everyone say good news. And that means as I walk through my day, I have the privilege to look at someone and say, I got good news, enthusiastically like Katie, Jesus loves you. They're going to look at you and go, that peace is Jesus, and he loves you, and he can set you free. Look at this, verse 16. In all circumstances, the King James Version actually says above all, uh, and that doesn't mean the most importantly, but it just means covering all, the basis here. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So where in the world, have you ever thought when you've been somewhere or you're driving down the road or you're at prayer meeting or you're sitting here and I'm talking up here and you're like, where in the world did that thought come from in my mind? Why did I just think that thing? I should not be thinking that thought. You know what it is? It is fiery dart. Maybe it's a lustful thought, maybe it's bitterness, maybe it's gossip, maybe it's anger, and it's entering your mind. It's the fiery darts of the enemy. And, 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 and you, you may be here on prayer meeting, and you may be trying to focus on the Lord, and the enemy will, will just remind you that, that how you were angry at your, your sister 20 years ago. And, you're, and, and, and he begins to fire those things in your mind. And the only protection from this kind of assault is the shield of faith. The Roman soldier's shield was... Two foot wide, four foot tall. It's made of wood, so it's light enough to, to carry it. It had a thin piece of metal to keep it from catching on fire when fiery darts would come. And it was not as small as a buckler shield or a little shield, a little, but this was a, a hefty shield. Look at this. I'm going to show you something. This, 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 this blew wind up my skirt, all right? Um, this is what it says. So, uh, sorry. When the Roman soldiers would be attacked, and oftentimes they would be attacked by many arrows shot in their direction. Look at this. When there was a group of Roman soldiers shot, and they would shoot their arrows, they would shoot them up in the air and let them fall where they were going to fall. And, and, and when, what they would do is they would come together. They would come together, and they would bunch together, and they would all take their shields, overlapping each other, and they would put their shields up. And every time an arrow would hit, it would just hit their shield, and they would protect each other. You may say, hey, I don't need to come to church. I don't know about you, but I need to come together with the congregation that's going to hold a shield of faith up over me when the, when the enemy's throwing fiery darts at me. We're in this together. We're in this together. So what do you do when you're, when you're being barraged by the fiery darts of lust and cynicism and envy and anger and gossip? I, I like this. Paul would tell Timothy in 2 Timothy uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 22, he said, run from them and follow after faith, righteousness, and peace with them that call on the Lord out of pure heart. So get with the group. Let's throw our shields of faith up here. Let's stop the enemy from attacking us. 
Come to prayer meeting. Come to church services. Come to Bible study as we come together so we can stand together and knock down the fiery darts of the enemy. Look at this, verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. The Roman helmet was used for protection but was also designed to make them look taller. I need one of those. Can I tell you something? When we are saved, it will lift you higher than you are. Because of Jesus, it's not because of you, it's because of Jesus. And the enemy wants to attack the minds of believers. There's a lot going on in here. Maybe I, I pray there's a lot going on in there. And the enemy wants to attack the minds of the believers. We see an increase, look, look at this, in our society, we see an increase in depression. We see in recent years, uh, uh, suicide among young pastors w was insane over the last few years. They've been overcome. It's from, uh, uh, you know, it, it's from the boardroom of hell that these lies of depression are, are strategically placed in waves in the people of God. If you, if you do just a little bit of history, this is amazing. I begin to think about this. I, I'm old enough to have lived in the 80s. Yeah, 80s kids. All right. All right. But in the 80s, what was it in the 80s? It was about uh, all these televangelists falling from high place because of adultery. So a wave that the, that, that the boardroom of hell sent to fight the people of God. So here it comes, 30 years later, here comes another wave of depression and suicide amongst pastors. Also, here's another. Here in the 90s, it could have been the wave of divorce because the divorce rates in the church were equal to the secular world. That's what the enemy does. These attacks come in waves, and as, he, as the people of God, we need to cover by the Helmet of salvation. God protect my mind. Salvation is this. Salvation is the hope of the coming Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5.8. And I can become depressed watching the condition of the world, watching the news and society, but I have to keep my eyes on, and hope on Jesus Christ and his return. I will live until I die. Well, that's, that's very smart, TJ. That's absolutely right. I will live until I die. But I'll be looking and believing in the hope, the blessed hope of Jesus' return and him calling me home. That's it. That's, that's the helmet of salvation. Look at this. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Um, so the Greek word, makaira, uh, translated sword, is not a large sword but a dagger sword used in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Um, the Greek word rhema uh, is, is the word translated word, which refers to not necessarily directly uh, from the Bible. It can be inspired from the Bible, but an exact spoke, spoken word. And the ideal here is that you just have to have the right word for the right person on the right, at the right time. How many knows that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword? It cuts between the bone and, and the marrow. It cuts between the soul and the spirit. The word of God cuts us but also heals in the same motion. I, I don't know how it works. It just works that way. That's just the way that God designed it. And as you study and as you meditate upon the full counsel of the written word of God, the rhema, the rhema word or, uh, will come to you and, uh, or precise word will come to you for that situation. There's been times where I didn't know what to say. And there's been moments where the Holy Spirit began to speak to me and I began to speak a rhema word. You know what that is? That's, that's like me spiritually having this dagger in. Take that, devil. Take that. Get out of here. Verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to an end to keep alert with all the perseverance making supplication for all the saints. Say, what if I can't be engaged to hand-in-hand -hand combat? Because there may be moments. What if your kids are gone and they don't, live, they don't live in your house? Or what if they live away? You can still pray for them. When I can't engage in the front of the battle, I can send long-range artillery prayers. Hey, praying for you, son. Praying for your, for your daughter. That leads specifically for things I cannot see or may not even understand. And, and praying in the spirit, man, if, if, if God has given you that prayer language, you ought to utilize that. Because the Holy Spirit will pray for things that you don't even know people need prayed for through you. It's amazing to me. My mom, dad, I can tell you when I lived away, a long, long ways from them, I 
know that they prayed for me in some seasons, and I knew that they were sending artillery, uh, fiery, or not fiery darts, but sending arrows this way. Hey, I'm praying for you, son. Get back. Get back, enemy. Get back. Get back. The way to be strong is to be able to stand when the enemy attacks, is to put on the whole armor of God. Hey, man, that seems like a lot to me to do. That's a lot of things I have to do. I have to do that every morning. Can I, can I share something with you? Instead of putting it uh, uh, on, on one piece of armor at a time, just do this. Put on Jesus. I'm going to show you something real fast here. Look at this. Number one, we talked about the, truth, uh, the, the belt of truth. Jesus is the truth. John 14, 6. If you're a note taker, you can write these down. Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Look at this. Number two, he is our breastplate of righteousness. Romans 13, 14 says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Romans 8, 1 says, there is no, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Look at this. Number three, he guides our feet in peace. Luke Chapter 1, verse 79 says, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Look at this. He is our shield of faith. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our what? Faith. Who is for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the captain of our salvation. Hebrews 2, 10 says this. For it was fitting that he for whom by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory would make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Talking about Jesus Christ. He is the captain of our salvation. And look at this. He is the word made flesh. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as of only the son from the father full of grace and can I tell you something? The armor of God is all summed up in Jesus Christ. Makes me go back to my statement, get in the cleft of the rock, Jesus Christ. Verse 19, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hustle through these last bit. Just bear with me. And also for me, that words may be given to me in uh, opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. There's that word, mystery, mysteria, uh, that word. And I don't know about you, but if I'm Paul here, I'm afraid I would have said, hey, pray that these prison doors would open for me. That would have been me. You guys pray that these prison doors open for me. Instead, he simply says this. What did he say? He, sa he said, uh, uh, opening my, uh, he says this, that my words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul didn't make it about himself. He said, Lord, just let my mouth be open more for the gospel of Jesus Christ at this moment. That's what I need. Let me be bold in sharing the gospel. God, that he would be our, uh, God, that we would be your people, less worried about our comfort and more about being bold in sharing the gospel to a lost and dying world. Man, God, help me to be like Paul. Help me, Lord. For which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul says, I am right where I should be in this dungeon. I'm thrilled to be here. I don't know about you, I would not have been thrilled to be there. You know why Paul was thrilled to be there? I've got a captive audience. These guys are not going nowhere. These guards are being chained to me. I'm going to witness to them the whole time that they're, that they're chained to me. They're going to be so fed up with me telling them about Jesus, they aren't going to have a choice but to accept Jesus. That's what it means to be strong in the Lord. Final greeting right here, verse 21 through 20, 24, it says this, so that you also may know that I am, uh, I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, that's such a cool name. Tychicus, if you have a dog, you should name your dog that. The beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him for you for, his, uh, for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, that he may encourage your heart. So he's saying this, don't feel sorry for me. Tychicus, he'll come and tell you that I'm doing good. He's going to give you the report. Don't worry about me. Verse 23 says this, peace be to the brothers and the love of faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love uncorruptible. 
So he again, I, and I love this. You've heard me say this. If you've been here any time, he ends. He, he ends with grace and peace. Where there's grace of God, there's the peace of God. I don't know about you. And how many would say this? How many would say, hey, pastor, I want to I wanna be able to stand in this time. I want to be able to stand firm. I, I, I want to put on the whole armor of God. Can we do this? Will you stand with me all across this building? And let's just have a word of prayer. I just want to pray over you tonight before we're dismissed. God, thank you.